Uh, the gospel reading this morning is different from the passage we're preaching on. Uh, the passage I'm preaching on, the actual gospel reading for this morning, is Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16. Um, I'm going to read a small portion of Matthew 19. And the reason I'm doing it is because it is the background for the parable we're going to study. And if you don't have that background, it will change the way you read the parable. Um, so we're starting in the middle of, an, of a scene that most of you probably know. It's when the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus mentions some of the commandments, and he says, I've kept all of those. And then he says, well, one last thing. You need to sell everything and go serve the poor. And, and that was too much for him. And so the disciples then begin to go, wow, if, like, if it's impossible for a rich person to enter in, like, how are we going to get in? Um, and so we pick up kind of in the middle of that scene. This is Matthew 19, um, verse 23. Jesus then said to his disciples, truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished. Um, there was a sense in first century Palestine that if you were wealthy, you were also blessed. Like, that's how you had the wealth. And so if you're a wealthy person and you're struggling to get into the kingdom and you're blessed by God and you're obedient, like, what about the rest of us? That, that's kind of their thinking. Um, who then can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And it's this question right here that's really important for the parable. Peter answered him, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Um, and they really have left everything. They've left careers. They've left families. They are following him around. We've left it all. So what's there going to be for us? Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones judging the tribe, 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Father, as we spend some time in your word, help us to learn. Help us to be open to being challenged by ways we may see things, by how we interact with people, by how we represent Jesus. Lord, help us to find inspiration and direction and wisdom that we might become more like Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. A woman had gotten up. She was completely ready for church, and she walked in to grab her husband and he was still in his PJs. And so she looked at him and she said, we have to go to church now. And he crossed his arms and he said, I am not going. 
And I will give you three reasons why. Number one, that church is cold. Number two, nobody there really likes me. And number three, I don't want to go. She looked at him and she said, I'm going to give you three reasons why you're going to go. Number one, it is warm and friendly at that church. Number two, there are people that like you there. And number three, you are the pastor. <laughs> get up and get dressed. <laughs> Have you ever had resentment build up in you? You ever had some things happen, maybe over time, and you finally got to a point where you're like, I'm tired of this. I'm done. I'm angry. I'm tired of what that person did. I'm tired of those people getting everything. I'm tired of not getting my stuff. I'm just, and you re feel resentful. Well, this passage deals with a number of things. But at the end, we get this statement slash question um, that talks about the evil eye. Um, it's not what you see in the translation because that, that phrase wouldn't necessarily make a lot of sense in English. But it also is a pivotal point to what's happening in all of this. And it goes back to Peter's question. We've left everything. We are following you. We have been following you since the beginning. What are we going to get? Which is in some ways a legitimate question. Think about something you've sacrificed for. Job, family, maybe it was school, maybe it was a neighbor. Think about something you've sacrificed for. And then ask yourself, did you have some expectation that something good was going to come of that? Or you were going to get something from it? And what would happen if you sacrificed a whole bunch and then didn't? get much for it. Resentment? So here's Peter's question. Lord, we've left all this stuff. We've been serving you. What are we going to get from this? I understand the question. I think it's legitimate. And yet, it misses something really vital. And it can lead to resentment. And Jesus' answer in that gospel message is, well, a lot. Everyone is going to receive a lot. Whoever has left everything and followed me, whoever sacrificed, they'll get a hundredfold and eternal life. So then he ends by saying, the last will be first, the first will be last. Um, it doesn't matter if you followed me for three years or for one month. If you've had faith in me, if you've given to me, you're going to get eternal life. The first and the last will be the same when it comes to the kingdom. And here's a parable to help you see it. Go ahead and open your Bibles. Matthew chapter 20, page 1404. We're going to spend a decent time in this story. Um, I'm going to let you know up front, this is a little bit of a confession before confession. I am usually far more prepared for my sermons. I am not very prepared for this sermon. Um, just letting you know up front. Normally, I've got a good 
three to five illustrations. I don't have any. Um, We'll see if they come to me as we speak. But uh, for some reason, as I was studying this, I was like, this is really good and important. And it just never coalesced. So I'm just going to talk, right? (laughs) If you get bored, you can leave. I won't be offended, all right? You can just get up, go get some coffee, come back later. Um, um, My son, that doesn't apply to you. Oh, okay. (laughs) I love it that the first thing that happens is my 10-year-old gets up and leaves. (laughs) Takes me very seriously. Um, All right, page 1404, chapter 20. Um, I want you to imagine for a moment you are not reading this English Bible that has these divisions so that you get to, let me read verse 30 from chapter 19. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner. There's no break there. Um, It's really easy for us to stop because it's the end of 19 and then now start something new. But there's no break there. There's no chapter divisions. There's no titles in Greek. It keeps going. This is an explanation for what he's just said to Peter. Here's the explanation. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. Likely what's happening is this is harvest time. Um, So you know that when we get to different seasons like Christmas, stores, um, shippers, they're going to hire seasonal work because it's busier and they need more people. He's going out to look for workers, and we're going to see he keeps going. It's probably harvest and needs a lot of workers. Um, Verse 2, he agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. Um, That appears to be, from documents in the first century, very normal pay. You work from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. You get paid a denarius. It's a day's wages. They agree to that. That's their contract. Verse 3 About nine in the morning, so three hours later, about nine in the morning, he went out and he saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. Now, there seems to be a very intentional shift because the first people, he goes to the marketplace and he's looking to hire people to work the fields and that's what he does. But then three hours later, he walks to the marketplace and it says he saw. It's like he went to just see who else is left. So he sees them, and he says in verse 4, You also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. Now notice in this one, he doesn't mention a denarius. He doesn't say this is the... And guess what they're thinking? Well, the people who get a denarius work 12 hours. I'm going to work nine, so I will get that portion of the denarius for my pay. That would be right. So they went out. He went on to get at noon. Three hours later. And about three in the afternoon, he did the same thing. He's still doing it. Three o'clock, there's only three hours left, but he's still out there, and he's still pulling people in, and likely they're all going, okay, well, now I'm going to work three hours, so I'm going to get that percentage. And then something changes, verse 6. About five in the afternoon. Now, just think about that. When does the time end that you stop work? When do you punch the clock? Six. (laughs) Get an hour. It's 5 o'clock. They walk, he walks out at 5 o'clock to still look. You know, there's only an hour left of work. But he goes out to the marketplace, he looks. Uh, about 5 in the afternoon, he went out, he found still others standing around. He asks him this question. Why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Um, don't 
don't take that as a, like, he's attacking them. It's a question. Why are you still standing here? All right. So back in Texas, um, the, the main part of Texas, well, it's not the main anymore, um, the, the original part of Texas, um, it was called Main Street. Um, it's the oldest part of Frisco, Texas. And, and on Main Street, it's still older buildings, um, and it looks like an older town. Everything else in Frisco is not. Like, it is built up, and it is huge, and there's 100,000 people that live there now. But if you go down Main Street, it still looks kind of like old Frisco. And as you drive in, there's a big gas station. And at that gas station, if you drive by there at 6 o'clock in the morning, there'll be two dozen or more guys standing in that parking lot. You know what they're waiting for? Somebody to drive up and say, we need some work done. I'll hire you for the day. And if you stand there long enough, you will see trucks drive up. You'll see cars. And these guys will just get in, and they'll take off to various work sites or homes, and they're getting work, just like what's happening here. If you drive by there at 3 or 4 in the afternoon, (laughs) there'll be like one or two guys left. (laughs) And you just think to yourself, man, how are they going to eat? (laughs) <laughs> like, how are they getting money? Like, what happened? Why did nobody want to hire them? Like, what, what is it about these guys that nobody, there's just not enough work? Maybe, I don't know. But that's who's left. And he says, why are you still here? Look at their answer. Because no one has hired us. For whatever reason, nobody wanted these people. Except who? This guy right here. And this is a key to the story. This landowner. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. And they got to be thinking to themselves, I mean, we need work, but like what are we going to make? <laughs> One twelfth of a denarius? <laughs> I guess it's better than nothing, right? I mean, let's get over there. Hurry. Let's, let's get, get some work at least. Here's the first thing. If you want to not give in to resentment... You need to know something about the heart of God. This landowner represents the heart of God, represents God. God's heart is for everybody, including those that nobody else wants. And you need to know that because that is part of his grace. He keeps going out. He keeps looking. Even when nobody else is giving these guys the time of day, this guy's going out to say, who's left? Who else can I invite into my vineyard? And and you see that kind of attitude and the opposite even in the ministry of Jesus. Because there's this idea of those who belong and who don't. So one time the disciples come to Jesus and they go, um, There's a guy that we told to stop because he was casting out demons in your name, but he wasn't one of us. And Jesus goes, don't do that. He's casting out in my name. Let him go. He doesn't have to be part of our little group for that to happen. There's a point where Jesus gets off the beaten path and a Syrophoenician woman starts following him and she's begging for her daughter to be healed. You know what the disciples say? Send her away. Why? Well, she's not one of us. She's probably a Canaanite. Um, 
she, you know, we're, we're busy, we're tired, we have other things to do. What does Jesus do? He interacts with her. Until she says so much, he's like, wow, I'm amazed by your faith. I'm going to heal your daughter. This happens multiple times. The woman at the well. Can't imagine what they thought when a Pharisee named Nicodemus came and started talking to Jesus. And the disciples would have been like, whoa, these are the guys who want to kill us. <laughs> like, what are you doing with him? Um, there was nobody. Can't imagine what they thought when he walked up to Matthew's tax collecting booth. Like, hey, I want you to follow me. And the disciples were probably going, are you crazy? He's going to steal our money like when we're doing ministry. He's a tax collector. What are you doing? Because he goes out to the marketplace for everybody. That is the heart of God. That is the grace of God that, by the way, called you and me. So one interpretation of this, and I do think there's validity to this, is that the first are the Jews and the last are the Gentiles. The Jews have been following Yahweh for century after century after century after century. The Gentiles, they just got their foot in the door. Clearly, the Jews are going to get a higher reward than the Gentiles, right? No. Because the first will be last and the last will be first. You and I, the Gentiles, I think, some of you might be Jewish, I don't know. Most of us aren't. Um, we're getting our foot in the door at the last moment and still because of the grace of God. Understand God's heart. It is to be in that marketplace to get everybody. Keep going. Verse 8, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages. And this is fascinating to me. Little details. Beginning with the last ones hired, this whole thing could have been avoided. <laughs> like he could have just taken the original group, called them and said, all right, here's your denarius. Go ahead, guys. Okay, they're out of earshot. All right, now the rest of you. <laughs> you know, but he doesn't. He takes the people who have worked one hour and brings them up first. Um, he calls the workers, pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came, and then this has just got to be shocking to them. This has to be like in their minds, they've got to be going, oops, this was a mistake. What happened? But we got to be quiet because he puts a denarius in their hand. Boy, they were expecting so much less than that. And they got to be going, oh my gosh. I mean, they spent 11 hours wondering, am I going to be able to have enough money for food today? Am I going to be able to support a family? I get nothing for 11 hours, and then I finally get this little tiny bit, an hour of work, and you give me the whole thing? I get the entire day? They get all of it. Now, the workers who were hired at 5 in the afternoon came. They received the denarius. And then verse 10. All right, just put yourself there. Put yourself in this scene. Except I want you to be the workers who started at 6 a.m. What are you thinking when this guy hands a denarius to the guy who worked one hour, what is your thinking? Here's theirs. So when those who came and were hired first, they expected to receive more. They were probably going, oh my gosh, if he got a denarius, we might get 12 days wages. 
Could you imagine that? I might get a day off. Like, I might be able to start a tiny savings account. Like, whoa! I mean, they got to be so excited about this because they had an expectation. But each one of them also received a denarius. Now, what are you feeling in that moment? I mean, just be honest. Let me ask you. Have you ever been treated unfairly? Anyone? Have you ever, you know, experienced something where you thought, I should have gotten that, or, or why did that person get that, or why did you get to take that from me, or how could they treat me like that and just get away with it? I mean, you had to have felt this. They are upset because, in their own words, when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. Is that fair? No, <laughs> it's not fair. We'll deal with the translation in just a moment where he says it is. Um, in the basic meaning of the term, it's not fair. They're not being treated in a way that makes any sense. But there is a difference between being treated fairly and being treated justly. And he'll describe it in just a moment. Here's what the landowner says. And I want you to realize, I firmly believe, and a lot of scholars do, the landowner right now in his response, he is not being mean. He's not like shoving in their face. That this landowner, the guy who went out at 6 and 9 and noon and 3 and 5 because he just wanted to provide for people and get them into his vineyard, that he's not giving up on a guy who has an actual grievance, but instead he's trying to help him understand the truth. I think he's trying to win him over. Here's what happens. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair, and I don't think that's a good translation. Um, the word means you're not being wronged. Uh, it's different, and there is a different Greek word for fair. You, I am not, I'm not wronging you, friend. And he calls him friend, and I think it's legitimate. I don't think it's like a friend. I don't think it's Judas coming up to Jesus. You know, it's not. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Here's the just part. You told me 12 hours ago, you would do this for a denarius. I'm giving you exactly what you agreed to do. Why are you so upset? If you wanted more, you should have asked. But I'm giving you what you and I agreed to. You should accept this. But he goes on. He's not done. Take your pay and go. I want to, if I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you, that's what I want. That's my heart. And you can think of it this way. I want to care for each one of the people that came to my vineyard. Because if I give them one-twelfth of a denarius, that is not enough money for them. They won't make it the next day. My heart is to care for all of them, even the guy who's only worked an hour. That's my heart. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? And it's an interesting question. It's also an interpretation. It might be right. 
Right? The people who, who translated the NIV are far more scholarly than I am. Um, I am relying on some other scholars. I don't think it's the best translation. This is where evil eye comes in. Right? The word envious is a translation of evil eye. And, and what the text says is, why are you looking at me with an evil eye? Because I'm generous. And that term can mean a number of things. I think it means resentment. Why are you looking at me with resentment? Because I'm being generous. Here's what happens with resentment. You cannot see blessing for other people. You're so focused on you and what you're not getting, what you think you deserve, that you can't see. I mean, with this landowner, there is only one person in this entire scene that is actually paying something. Think about what the landowner is losing. I just paid somebody an entire denarius to give me one hour's work. You think something's happening to you? I'm the one that is actually suffering here. I paid a guy who worked three hours an entire day's wage. A guy who worked six hours an entire day wage. A guy who worked nine hours an entire day wage. Why? Because I want to make sure I'm caring for them. I want to make sure they are taken care of. You can't even see that because all you see is what you don't have. It's the epitome of resentment. To combat that is grace. It is seeing the heart of God. It is seeing what matters to him. It's seeing what he's done for us. This is what we talked about last week. The blessings in our life. I am not going to ask for a show of hands, but I would love to know how many of you went home and did your assignment. Some of you are going, we had an assignment? <laughs> the assignment was go home, look at different aspects of your life. Your spouse, your family, your job, your school, a club you're in, whatever. Look at multiple aspects of your life and ask yourself this question. In what way am I blessed in this aspect of my life? And the whole goal of that assignment is to show you the grace of God. To show you all the things being done for you that we often miss because we're so concerned with what we don't have. We're so concerned with what that person has that I think I deserve. We're so concerned with being cheated. Do you know who has been cheated more than anyone? God. He paid for all of our sin. And in return, asked us to trust him. That was it. He was the landowner who went out and said, all of you, please come. I want to care for you and take care of you. I want to forgive you. I want to give you eternal life. And I just want you to trust me. I have done everything else. He's paid far more than you and I will ever pay. If we can just get that into our heads and start seeing the grace in our lives instead of all the things we don't have, all the things we think we should have, all the stuff we feel like I deserve to have this or that person doesn't deserve to have that. You're right. Let's just put it out there. People will always get things they don't deserve and you may be able to do nothing about it. Somebody's going to get the job that you should have gotten. Someone's going to get the part you should have gotten. 
Somebody's not going to do hardly anything, and they're going to be better off than you are. It is going to happen throughout this life, and you can either let that be resentment in you, or you can go, I live for Christ, and he has already done all of these things, and what I care about is what he cares about, and I am not losing out on much. If you believe in eternity, whatever you lose out on in this life, as hard as it might be, and I don't want to act like it doesn't mean anything. It does. It hurts. It makes us angry. But if you want to compare it to what we're going to get, it pales. There is no comparison. Resentment. It can be such a terrible, awful thing in our lives. And I know you know this from experience. Who does it hurt the most? You. <laughs> Your resentment hurts you more than most people. Maybe more than everyone. Why? How many of you like feeling resentful? <laughs> How many of you love just feeling angry at everybody? Wanting to attack everyone? It's horrible, isn't it? It hurts us more than it hurts anybody else. So focus on the grace of God. Focus on the heart of God. And let that help you combat resentment. Because that's the only plan we have for this. When my son got up to leave after I said you could leave, it reminded me of something. Um, my son often speaks his mind, whatever it is. Um, he has a little filter. My daughter's over there shaking her head. Um, a lot of times it's a good thing. Um, this kid will have no problem making his needs known um, because he just says what's on his mind. And it reminded me of a time a number of years ago. In fact, he was only five, I think. And in the back seat, my five-year-old and my seven-year-old were fighting. I know that seems hard to imagine, brothers fighting. But they were fighting. And I thought, I'm going to take a different approach to this. Normally, I just kind of like get on to them, whatever, and, and this is the approach I took. I said, I'll tell you what, boys, here's my plan. You all can keep fighting until I get mad and yell at you, or you can stop. I'll leave it up to you. That was my plan. And this is what I remember. Killian said to me, I have a different plan, Dad. What if you just let us fight and don't yell at us? <laughs> There are no other plans. This is who God is. This is his heart. This is what he wants. His desire is to be generous. His desire is to be in the marketplace. You and I might be inwardly focused and fighting all over our little church battles and everything else, and God is saying, I want to go to the marketplace and bring new people in. I want to care for people who are not being cared for. That's my heart. And that is the only plan. You can accept the grace of God and live into that grace. And hopefully it will help you not be resentful, but instead live in joy and live other-centered. Or you can do your own plan. I can tell you my son's plan didn't work out. <laughs> Yours won't either. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your incredible generosity. Your incredible grace. 
Lord, please help us to see it. Help us to know it and embrace it and, and feel it. That we don't have to live resenting people and opportunities and things we just so much think we deserve. And instead, we can accept those things you give us. And we can recognize there is nothing greater than being loved by you, being your sons and daughters, being accepted for who we are, and knowing that we have eternity. Let us live into that grace. In Jesus' holy name, amen.